podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Welcome to episode 51 of the Unholy Trinity Podcast. Where this week, I'm delighted to say we've been joined by a friend of the show and uh, a former guest as well, and that's Callum Wyatt. Callum, thanks for coming on during the uh, this prolonged lockdown period. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Hope all's well. All is good, mate. Just, it's just a shame we can't get the video working, so we, we can't see your you lockdown aircut properly, which is always, <laughs> uh, always a down. Because mine's looking good, isn't it, lads? Now I've, I've gone really, really short there now. I was uh, DIY that one, is it? Yeah, well, you know, I'll be open my own business. So, so come the fourth of July, I'm going to be opening the um, the front garden. If anyone wants, wants to come round and get their, get their ears lowered, I'm yeah, all, the, all the uh, listeners might might remember the poster for Alien Three with Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm a best looking woman in Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> she was losing her hair as well. <laughs> listen, listen. There's nothing wrong with my airline. The barber always says to me, "You've got a great head of hair for someone, someone so uh, so young." He says, "You've got a great head of hair." But anyway, mo- moving swiftly on away from uh, from my haircut, um, let's kick off with with a look back at um, the Norwich game because last time we recorded, obviously we previewed that game. We just drawn the derby, and we felt it was really important that we went to Carroll Road and and got the three points, and that's exactly what we did in all be um, not the not the best of games, Pete. Well, the, the the first half I think was was quite worrying for me. I, I think we were sending some messages back and forth to the group, and you were trying to be the voice of reason, Mike, weren't you? Saying you've got to take the circumstances into account that you know they're not playing in front of a crowd away from home. Uh, you know, three days after a really grueling um, you know physical game of uh, of the Merseyside derby, but. For me, that first half performance was the worst I've seen us play probably since um, the Anfield derby uh, under Ancelotti. So I was really pleased we came out in the second half. And I, I think really in fairness to, to Carlo, you managed to get the players in, make a few key changes. And we looked like a different side second half. If it, if it brings you in there, Callum, obviously Pete, Pete obviously mentioned there the, the, the good change from the first to the second half. But yeah. if we go back to the start of the game, and Pete mentioned there, obviously, a Green and Merseyside derby, tiredness. There was only one change made to the start and eleven, wasn't there? We had, obviously, yeah. uh, Bernard mm-hmm. come in for Anthony Gordon. So, surely, you know, when we first kicked off, it was a warm day as well. That's that's played into... They had, they, they had, they had two days extra rest us, didn't they? Didn't they? they did, yeah. Oh, I think that that had a, a significant part in it as well. And if you look at their start in eleven, obviously they rested Pukki. Um, Cantwell got rested as well, didn't he? Players who played a lot of games, so they looked very fresh. Um, Hernandez was decent for them, I thought. Quick player, he gave us loads of problems in that first half. But the the, the problem was um, in in the first half, obviously it was our being slow on the ball, but predominantly was their setup really. Um, you look at Hernandez, um, Duda and Damage in, in the first half, he obviously just allowed us to have the ball um, along the back line um, and stopped us playing through centrally um, with Duda pushing on to Gomez and um, stopping that passing to him. Front three staying narrow and then obviously then behind that you have McLean, Tete um, and Rupp 
Um, Rupp obviously stopping balls going to Davis, who's trying to get free. Um, and then Tete obviously going tight in behind and McLean obviously tucking in alongside as well, which obviously forced Bernard to try and come inside the pit, try and obviously make the numbers because obviously effectively it was a 63. Um, and then when we did force the ball at White, like, like Sadeen, um, or Coleman, he obviously showed us inside again to an, to an underload for us. So we found it really hard. Um, but with second half changes, obviously Carlo and Charlie got onto that and, and made Obviously, um, big changes, which obviously I'll go over in a bit as well. What, what, what are your thoughts, Lee, on, on that? Because, you know, like, like we mentioned, obviously, time is certainly a factor. Um, not, not really particularly changing the lineup. You know, we, we, we went down there, really warm day. Morris had an extra couple of, couple of days rest. What, what were your thoughts when you saw that, that change in terms of one personnel only? And then obviously how the first half played out. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with with Pete and Callum. I think they're both spot on. Um, I was surprised there was only one change. I think we talked at the end of the last podcast. We always thought that Bernard would come in. I think that was pretty unanimous between all of us. I thought Sigurdsson would come in for Tom Davis. I thought Sigurdsson did all right when he came on uh, against uh, Liverpool. You know, his use of the ball was decent. Uh, you know, overall that he struggled, but. Um, I was a bit disappointed with Tom overall. Going, you know, going back to the Davis there, I think, you know, I think he, he had to be up to half time. He was losing possession. I do agree with Callum there, though. I do think we were, you know, we're outnumbered in midfield certainly, so that made it difficult. But as soon as you put Tom under pressure, I think that's where you feel a bit uneasy when he's on the ball, don't you? In terms of giving it away in key areas. Um, but you've got to give credit to Norwich. You know, they got absolutely hammered by Southampton in that first game. It wasn't just a, you know. 3-0, but we dominated, you know, and they nicked it. You know, they could have scored five or six. So there was a reaction there. The manager was probably expecting a reaction. Um, and they gave it first half. You know, I thought that Hernandez looked, looked, looked a real dangerous player. And he obviously caused problems for United as well in the cup in midweek as well. Um, I know they rested some of their key players, Buendia, uh, Puki and, and Cantwell, but, um, it's just, for me, it's symptomatic of Norwich this season, really. They play some really good stuff in patches and then they still manage to find a way to throw away the game. Um, they're just a bit loose at the back. And for me, the advantage of having a real top manager there who sees the picture first off, makes a couple of little changes, and then all of a sudden we look a completely different side in the second half. Well, one, one player, even in that first half, who... Despite not being a great first half, limited chances for both sides. One player who stood out for his defensive role, his defensive duties, and we said this for the derby as well, was, was a certain Alex Iwobi. And in terms of his discipline and in playing that role uh, in front of Seamus Coleman and, and not shaking, obviously, his, his responsibilities defending his own goal. You're seeing a player there who, who appears to be early days. Obviously, he's had injuries, etc. But early days for every everyone under under Carlo, I suppose. A player who's reaping the rewards with, with working with a, a top top manager. Um, and obviously, when we made those those changes uh, at half time, Sigurdsson on for Tom Davis. Those tactical changes, second half, we, we saw a great uh, a great performance from Wobie going forward, Callum as well. Yeah, in terms of that, that first half, I thought Ancelotti got it wrong, to be honest. Um, you look at the first half, what's the game over again? Um, just earlier on. And if you look at that first half, we were playing sort of the same tactics as what we were doing against, against Liverpool. Sort of, you know, obviously we had playing each Mane, but we sort of were worried about that Hernandez and done the same thing. We obviously had Coleman Tucker as an extra centre-back. 
and Iwobi then staying with Hernandez, obviously because of his pace. But that causes problems then. Because then when he played into the left-hand side area, for example, the left-back area, there was no one to press the ball because Iwobi dropped back. So you had literally you know, five players in the back line and then no one to press in a wide area. So he had loads of time on the ball, which then, for us to press the ball, it was having to be Gomez. He was having to go out and run, run to get the ball. So when he closed down, they'd try and pop it then back inside and have an overload in central areas. So that was a, obviously one of the things that he got onto. And obviously that's why Iwobi had a great game in the second half, because we didn't do that second half. We pushed them on, pushed them higher, um, allowed Coleman to obviously defend himself, rather than obviously needing Iwobi to help him as much. And obviously Iwobi's role in the second half changed then to, to come inside the pitch. Um, they, if you notice their they back four in that first, well, throughout the game, they, they stayed with, the, with the, the penalty area. So when it went to wide areas, um, you know, it, it was easy for them. So we obviously had to get, have more players centrally, and that's why Iwobi came in. And we had like three or four on the top line. Then we had, ended up having Bernard, Calvert-Lewin, Iwobi. Um, all in the round, their centre-back, which obviously dismantled them a little bit more, because obviously the first half was a jolly up for them, because they only had two players to mark out, and they had four defenders. And that's the sign, as obviously we've said that then, obviously it's a sign of a, of a tactically astute manager, and a manager who's, who's been there, done that, and you know, we, we've, we've been here before with managers who didn't really have a plan B, you could argue, um, we're, we're stubborn to, to their tactics and, and wouldn't change things at half time. And we've seen Carlo. Carlo seems to be very flexible. And, and, and the thing when he first came to the club, and there's people talking about identity. And, you know, we, he, he mentioned, well, we won't have an identity on the pitch as such because we're going to be flexible. Yeah. And the, the game again on, on, um, on Wednesday against Norwich was, was a, a key, you know, it was, it was a key game to show how, how flexible. Carlo and, and the side can be, you know, one one quick change with you know change of personnel, change of system, and and you, you're getting the best from certain players, then, and we're seeing a better a better Everton for a piece as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so early in Carlo Ancelotti's tenure, you can't make it would be unfair to make comparisons against other managers, but I mean, you're so right. It was often a criticism, wasn't it, of particularly Martinez and also Marco Silva. That you know when it was running well for Everton, we were playing teams off the park um, and got a handful of famous victories. But you know when it wasn't going for us, we were getting beat by teams that arguably we should have been beaten to move forward, and we're having quite frustrating games that you know we seem to look a bit lost in. So it's a breath of fresh air for me to see us going half time after a disappointing first half and have the adaptability to come out and win the game. Um, Definitely. I'd, I'd, I'd tell you to say who I was delighted for as well, because what one thing which which we're, we're looking a lot better at is is, is sort of is defensively in that back four. We, we look we look pretty strong and a pretty a pretty rigid back four. And Michael Keane and Mason Holly yet again for me we're, we're really really steady at the back. And Michael Keane especially obviously gets gets the winner, gets the only goal of the game. Obviously, he had a, a little baby girl born the, the day before, so basically a few days, few days for him. But out of it, out of everyone, in terms of not having the impact of the crowd, Michael Keane is one player we identified a couple of weeks ago who might do a lot better because he had the pressure of people giving him loads of stick, etc. You know, he rushes a pass or makes a mistake, and he's one I think who's come out of the uh, break looking a bit sharper. Maybe 
uh, not feeling as much pressure. And, and back to the form that we were seeing last season, to be honest with you. I don't know what your, what your thoughts are, Lee, if it comes to your favourite from that. Yeah, I'm really chuffed for Keane. I really am. Um, he's had a very indifferent Everton career. I mean, you've just touched on it there. You know, he's he's had some really tough patches with us where he has, you know, been on the verge of thinking, this lad, is he good enough? And then he formed a good partnership with Zuma last season. Um, and at times, you know, look, here we go. This is the Keane we bought, you know, we thought we'd signed. Then he has obviously had a really indifferent spell this season. He strikes me as a player that, He's very much a confidence player, doesn't he? He needs an arm around him. He needs to be told he's a million dollars. I think he's a little bit fragile mentally, which is not necessarily a bad thing, by the way. You know, it's just, it's just, his, it's just his makeup. I just think that that's the way he is. Um, but I just think um, I'm really chuffed for him. I think he's come back, especially in the derby. I thought we looked really solid. I know we played deep and we set off, uh, but we, we really shut them down in that game. And they showed against Palace a few days later that you know they weren't rusty. You know, they really tore Palace apart um, and could have scored five or six in the end. But um, I'm really chuffed for him, like I said. He got the winning goal. Like you said, he just had a kid, so it's a great moment in his life personally. Um, look, I, ho- I hope he can stay and continue to push. For me, what are the top two partnership really is, is obviously Holgate and, and probably Mina, really. Potentially another if we get another centre-half in. But I hope he stays around and, you know, if he does come in the side then, then we know that he's obviously, you know, he can come in and do a job for us. It'd be interesting with Mina coming back to fitness, won't it? You know, in terms of what Ancelotti does and how he manages that. And you, you, you can't see him. You can't see him changing for me. In terms of centre half partnership, it's, it's a lot, a lot different to when you, you know, you're chopping and changing centre forwards. You, you, if you've got two centre halves who are performing particularly well or particularly steady, which which both Holgate and Michael Keane appear to be. You wouldn't just lash Jeremy yeah, Street in there, which as much as on his day, potentially he's, he's, he's a better centre-half than Michael Keane. You go off who's, who's in form. Um, what, what are your thoughts, Callum, on, on Michael Keane? You know what? I've been, I've been one of his biggest critics. Now, I'll hold my hand up and I'll say that. Um, I thought he'd been poor from when he came, really, in the majority of the games. But I think with the way that Carlo's come in now, he's, he's adjusted Carlo to the players that he's got at his disposal. Um, and we're playing the way that we are because of the players that we've got, and, and it's as simple as that. Um, you know, albeit next season, he'll, I think he, he'll change, might change the system, he'll change things, and he'll have better players. Um, but you look at it, you know, in the game, he, he made um, 62 passes, gave the ball away six times, um, so he kept the ball really well. Won both of his aerial duels, um, three ball recoveries, and obviously won both of his tackles that he had as well. But he lo- looks a lot more assertive. He looks more confident. He, he definitely, like Lee said, someone who needs the arm around him. He's a confidence player. But you notice where that we play now under Silver. How many times did Michael Keane get caught out because Seamus Coleman had bombed onto the corner flag and get exposed 1v1? We haven't seen that happen. If you notice now, when we attack, um, if it's on the left-hand side, Dean will go. Coleman will tuck in and stay. If Coleman goes, Dean will wrap around. So not only have you got you know, one player covering you, you've got two covering you. So it allows you to have a bit more confidence when you step in to go 1v1 if someone's done that yet because you've got that cover inside. Um, I think the only time he's really been done in the last two games was was at the Mane one where we, Gomez gave the ball away and they broke um, and Mane's caught inside and Keane's just dragged him to the ground. Um, but he's looked a lot better. But I think it's down to, obviously, Carlo and Schlotter and myself. Yeah, I agree with that. 
Sorry, sorry, mate. Go on, mate. No, no. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think I, I agree with that because I think if you look at the derby when we played uh, and the silver, silver obviously really liked obviously pushing, pushing, having quite a high line, didn't he? Yeah. And that just does not suit Michael Keane whatsoever. No. When he when he was at his best uh, at Burnley, he was obviously defending defending the box, you know, pretty narrow, heading, kicking and heading everything that came in the box. I think without taking too much off him, that's basically his game, isn't it? He's very strong in the air. He's half decent on the deck. But as soon as you try and get a, you know, a short, fast player that can change direction quickly, that's where you're struggling. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, the way Carlos set us up, the way he is playing a bit deeper and making us hard to break down, that suits him down to the ground, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, they've only had, they only had, they only had one shot on target in that game. I know they obviously had quite a bit of possession and whatever, but they didn't really trouble us really, um, throughout the game. So, you know, you know, it, it's a, it's a good thing for obviously, and so to get the obviously two up top firing, which they weren't obviously on Wednesday, um, but the back four obviously looking looking quite solid. And that, and that's been a that's been a sign of the, of the first two games back, hasn't it? As we say, you know Liverpool didn't particularly trouble us in the derby. I didn't think. No. Um, not not for obviously the, the the side who were were top of the Premier League and also Norwich as well didn't yeah. really really struggle. But we've mentioned there quite you know quite a few times Carlo and. Um, is, is tactical awareness, is tactical mouse, and the fact that he's changing things up. And I think it's important if, if you sort to move forward now in, in the discussion to highlight this week. Carlo mentioned obviously he, he's really keen and eager to to see out a, a long term project with the club. Um, so obviously when he first he's first signed his contract in um, in December, four and a half year deal takes him through to the twenty three twenty four end of that particular season, which is quite a long time anyway. I think for a manager, yeah. not not the lines of our last twenty five year deal with Newcastle, but it's still it's still long in the in the, uh, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but Carlos keen to obviously be with the club as long as he as he possibly can. Now, how important is that to have? A manager of that kind of ill say those kind of things. I know it's early in his in his tenure, of course it is. But how important is that so that the players, the club, the fans all buy in to to what he wants to do with the club um, and where he wants to take us, Pete? Just gets the club, doesn't he? I, I would say first manager we've had in a in a long time, probably since Martin is to be fair, that, that's really bought in to the Everton philosophy and really engaged the fans. Um, and I think the fans can have confidence in him, not just because of his record, but I think yeah, the way he communicates, the way he holds himself. Tim Cale shared a great anecdote, didn't he, on Match of the Day? Um, pre-lockdown, of course, uh, <laughs> driving into the car park, and he said he'd not seen Carlo Ancelotti since he played against him uh, or played against one of his sides. Um, I think it would have been in the would have been uh, World Cup that it's been. It, it was it was potentially in his his Chelsea days. Oh, sorry, Chelsea. Uh, and he said, Dan Schlotty got out of the car and uh, stopped the car when he was driving out and gave him a hug. And that was the first time he'd seen him in however many years. And that that, that just is a statement of what kind of man he is um, and what he's like to work with. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think if you look at every single player he's managed and, and you know, some real top top draw players of, of, you know, sort of the last two generations, really. I can't think of one real bad word that these players have said about him. You know, he's, he's, he's obviously a really calm, likeable guy. 
who seems to just get people, seems to communicate with people really, really well. He was obviously a top player, played in a really good Milan side, so he knows the game, he's played at the highest level. But I see, you know, that's really, really reassuring for me. He's come out and said those things because I think he's, I think he's been sold the dream here. I think, I think he sees Everton as kind of like the bookend of his career, really. So if you look at the, you know, he, he, the team he built at Milan over a period of time and brought Milan back to prominence, look at that team that Milan put on the pitch against Liverpool in both those finals. I mean, that's probably one of the best sides of the last 15, 20 years, isn't it? You know, man for man. And he's built that team. And look, by no means I'm going to say I'd love it if we could get a team of that quality on the pitch in a few years' time. But I do think he think I think he I think he thinks this could potentially be his last job in football, and he kind of wants to fit. He started off really in his career. Well, I thought Milan was his third team, but he was still that early on in his managerial career. He started off that and built a really strong team, and I think he sees this as being a project where he can, like I said, bookend his career and build hopefully a really strong Everton team in the next few years. I mean, you'd you think in terms of where fans' anxiety lies, it probably lies in the recruitment of the club, doesn't it? I think everybody's got faith in Carlo Ancelotti and in his record and what he's shown so far and, again, his, his tactical knowledge and his adaptability, but the, the club has to get recruitment right. And I think if you look at our records, particularly over the past 10 years, we've we've struggled to get the right sort of approach, haven't we? And we I think we've particularly struggled to get that matching of recruitment with management style so you just hope that we're uh, we're about to get it right don't you yeah, there's an element of fortune with recruitment um but you are right there is also an element of well there is a big element of intelligence as well and i hate to say it um but you know look at the team that Klopp inherited four years ago look at the team he's got on the pitch now and they didn't sign they didn't sign um what you'd call proven stars or Galactico type players that they, they signed players that, you know, were obviously talents, but ultimately let's have it right. He's made them into better players and he's got a system. And if we can do the same with Klopp, not Klopp, with, with Carlo, sorry. Calm down. If we, if we can do the same, same with Carlo, I think I think you know I agree with you, Pete. I, we do need to back him, and maybe not so much in this window because of what's going on with COVID. But we do need to have more quality on the pitch to, to get the best out of him. It would be a nightmare if we waste this opportunity of having probably the best manager we've ever had. You're, you're going to be on the uh, on the hit list, you like Tim Cale and Tony Bell. You were this week for certain comments made. You're, you're going to be you're going to be top of that list. Very shortly with that kind of faux pas, but just going just back to what you said, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, I was honest, promise you. Um, <laughs> just going back to the point about obviously Pete men- uh, mentioned in yourself Lee, about recruitment, how important it is, and like you say, we, we all trust Carla, and that trust is not only built on on what he's done as a manager previously in all the years and all the success he's had around the world. It, it's how he's he's basically embraced the club. And the ethos of the club, and, and he just, and like he said, he just appears to get us. Um, this window appears to be a little bit tricky for one reason or another. We seem to be run, uh, sailing quite close to the wind anyway in regards to uh, finances, etc. Um, obviously, Carlo probably knew or would have known the script when he first came in. With regards of the COVID 19 situation, it was going to be a bit of a tricky window. So we're going to have to be clever. So Marcel Brands will have to be clever as well. 
Um, but I think sort of the, the, the long-term plan, which, which Carlo alludes to, yeah, he's got to be back, of course. He hasn't. We, we've got to, if you, if you bring in this kind of manager, you've got to give him the tools to be able to make us uh, a top four size, which I'm sure that, that is, that is his aim. Um, you know, if, if we can get there with him, you know, fantastic because he can then build the foundations for years to come for the next person who comes in. And, you know, once, once we sort of break that, break that ceiling and get into the, to the top four, I'm sure the, the sky's are limit. But well, what, what, what's your thoughts, Callum, on that? Because obviously, you know, recruitment is so key, um, to, to any side and any side development. But what, what are your thoughts on, on Carlo and, and your early thoughts of him since he's come in? And, and, you know, the talk of this, this long-term project. It's music to Evertonian's ears, isn't it, really, that obviously wants to stay long-term. Um, and it's something that we've, we, we need. You know, you look at the, the days of, obviously, David Moyes. He was there, he was there for years. And obviously, Marco Silva, obviously, Koeman, you know, did, obviously, you've left now with the problem of recruitments over four, four managers. And that's the problem we've got now. But to have Carlo come in and he wants to stay longer, you know, hopefully now we can we can get it right. You know, chopping and changing managers just doesn't work because you'd have people with different ethoses, different philosophies about to play, and then you'd end up then having players that you don't want. You know, prime example now, you look at Spurs, yeah, um, Pochettino signed the centre midfielder um, on the belly. Um, Marino's come in, doesn't fancy him whatsoever. You know what I mean? So, he, he, how much did he cost them? Like ridiculous amounts of money. So you know they're things that we've been fighting now for years, and hopefully now with Carlo coming in, we can start afresh, get rid of all the deadwood players that he doesn't want, and bring in players who can sign long-term contracts, and we can start to build a proper team. At the same time, though, keeping hold of our best players, which in the past we we haven't done. If you look at the likes of Lukaku, um, Barkley, them types of players, you know we need to keep our best players. For example, now Rich Allison, you know, if we're going to build a team, we have to keep our best players. I think I think you're great there, and, and we're going to come on. So obviously, a little bit of movements um, from the club in terms of that that side of things shortly. Um, but just sort of sticking with the long term project project side of things, yeah. it'd be remiss of us not to mention uh, the news over the last sort of seven days or so in regards to to Bradley Moore, because there was a little bit of um, cryptic messages. Uh, tweets from from Dan Mice wasn't there? Obviously, the the architect of the of Brownie Moore Stadium. Um, obviously, Everton fans being Everton fans, a lot of people were flapping it. You know, every time he puts something yeah. out there, assuming it, it's it's linked to the club. Um, and you know, I, I understand it. Of course, we've had so many false dawns when it comes to a new ground. I totally, totally get it. Um, but it, you know, it turns out. There is some movement there, and, and, and Dan Mice is no longer attached to the project. He's no, no longer working on the project. Um, and I think, I think for a lot of, lot of Everton fans, I suppose, you know, because of the way that he embraced the club, and you know, he's quite often spotted at Goodison Park. He attended a few games. He was in the Bradley Moore pub with his family, mainly attending an event by the uh, Auto Ever Now podcast where, where Dan. Dan came before he went down to London, had a good 10 or 15 minutes uh, on the mic there. So, you, you know, you, you see in a man there that I totally embraced, embraced the project. Um, and it is a shame, you know, the fact that he won't be, be taking any further part. Is, for me, I've got a, the question that I've got is, and I'd like to hear everyone's thoughts on this. Obviously, we're a club full of traditions and, you know, we're, 
we've come across maybe as being quite sentimental and things like that. Is this a sign of Everton being more ruthless and Everton being the machinery Everton and not, not the Bill Kenley's Everton? Lee? That's a long question. Um, I, 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 I do think, yeah, it, it, the short answer is yes. We, we, we are showing signs of being a bit more ruthless. And in all honesty, if we want to be a top draw club again, challenging for titles, we have to be. It's as brutal as it is. You know, do we want to be known as oh nice old Everton? We've had some great sides in the past and have obviously got a great history in our game. Or, you know, do we want to be known as, you know, a bit of a ruthless team who are putting top sides out and competing for trophies? And I, I'm sure we'd all prefer the latter, really. Um, Bill, you know, whether you like him or loathe him, you know, took the club off uh, Peter Johnson at the time, who, who, who in a lot of people's eyes was a nightmare for us. And, you know, whether, you, like I said, like him or loathe him, you know, I think he's done a, a reasonable job within his remit. You know, he even said himself in one of his phrases, you need to be a billionaire now to be able to compete at the top table. Um, he's gone out and brought Farhad to our club. When you look at a lot of the horrendous deals that have happened amongst other clubs being taken over, I think Farhad has turned out to be a good piece of recruitment so far for us. Um and, yeah, I, I do think we, we need to move away from that sort of tag, you know, that sort of like, you know, a lot of people's second club type thing, you know, as I said, well thought of amongst amongst most uh, corners of the country. I, I would rather us be hated and then winning trophies, put it that way. Hmm. What, do, what do you think, Pete, on that? Because the, the, the news from the whole thing is now, um, the reason that, that Dan Mice and, and Mice Architects then didn't form part of this second stage of the, of the, of the project is that it went to, went to sort of tender almost for the, uh, to be the, um, technical architect. So when it obviously comes to the build and being on site, et cetera. So he, he obviously put his case forward and wasn't, wasn't picked and it was, it was Patton. So the architectural firm Patton, uh, who were, who were based in, in Britain. They have been working alongside Mice Architects. They were brought on board. Um, they're the ones who've been picked. So Lango Roca got them on board to, to obviously get things, get the ball rolling in that sense. So what, what, what are you, are you disappointed by, by the removal of, of Mice or, or not? I, I think the difficult thing is nobody knows for sure what conversations did and didn't take place. Um, you know, on, you know, what was agreed and what wasn't agreed. So I think you've got to take, I mean, it goes without saying, you've got to take anything that's said on social media with a massive dose of salt, haven't you? Um, I certainly think the timing was surprising. Um, you know, I think when I, I saw his comments, especially from having followed Dan Mice on social media, I was quite surprised by how open he was because normally when he's, you know, he's talking about any projects he's involved with, he's very professional, isn't he? He's quite careful about how much information he puts out. So to see him, you know, make such a sort of blatant comment that he would know in his mind when he's put that out there that it's going to get everybody's back up and everyone's going to get anxious and interested. So he was clearly upset. Um, I mean, is it, is it a sign of Everton becoming more, you know, ruthless, business focused? Maybe, maybe. Um, but, you know, as far as I'm concerned, as long as the club holds, you know, the values we always have, I think of, you know, community being fan focused and doing the right thing for the club, I think it's the right kind of uh, the right kind of ruthless, really. 
Callum? Yeah, I think I've, I'd echo the same as well, really. You know, it's one of them lovely cryptic messages and whatever. No one really knows, obviously, what's gone down there, do you, in terms of what's been said, what's been done. And we probably won't know until a long time down the line. So, you know, if it, if it hasn't, if Evan have pushed his nose out or they haven't agreed on a certain way of doing things, he might have walked away from it. He, or it might have been that Evan pushed him out. We, we don't know. Um, but I think the most important thing is, is that, like you said, it's just that it gets done. You know, that's, that's what, that's the end goal. That's what we want to see. So as long as it gets built and it doesn't, doesn't fall down, you know what I mean? And it's obviously on schedule. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's on schedule and whatever. Then, you know, I think that's what we all want. So, but I don't think we'll ever find out what did happen. But obviously he's not happy at what's happened. Um, he likes to oversee projects and whatever. And for whatever reason this time, he's not going to be able to do that. Well, he, he said, didn't he, about when the time's right, he'll sort of disclose more information about it. Uh, you know, he's convinced Bramley Moore's going to be built, et cetera, et cetera, yes. you know, even without without their their input. Uh, but when the time's right, he, he will he will be sort of disclosing what's gone on. And, I mean, like you say, you, 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 it depends who you want to believe. I mean, the, the question there is, should you really care? Should, should we, as a fan base, care? Mm. Because I think what, what's, what's probably pushed him into, you know, having to to make comments all the time is us as fans because of what we've gone through in the past. Yeah. I think almost we, we've, we've pushed him in a sense to, to make not the first cryptic message, but the second one when he, when he put out two tweets to try and clarify. We, yeah. we saw almost as a fan base, we've pushed him into that because people are constantly at, at his door and asking questions and come on, Dan, you know, we're all on tender rocks here, you know, give yeah. us some more information and, that's just Everton fans almost as a fan base because of what's what's gone before. But should should we really care? You know, I'd, like you say, Callum, as long as the, as long as it gets built and it looks as spectacular yeah. as those drawings look, yeah. why 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 should we be concerned? Because twenty years ago, pre Twitter, etc., we'd have no idea what's what's gone on, would we? We'd have no absolutely no idea what's mm. happening behind closed doors. No. So I just think you know it's it's one. I think Everton fans have got on his back because. The last thing they wanted to hear was that it's all fallen through. And I think that was at the back of Lord Eltonian's minds. Um, and that's why they were trying to get a bit more info about it. And I don't think they were really, you know, as bothered that he wasn't involved. It was more a case of that they, they want to make sure that it's, it's still going to go ahead, really. And, and it's, it's being clarified now, hasn't it? You know, the, the club have, have clarified the situation. The, the plans are still in and they're, they're expected to be, to be looked at. I think I heard uh, the other day, the 4th of July, the planning. Um, committee meet so I don't know if that's a true date or not but I saw that the other day written somewhere yeah. um, so we should have more news on the outcome of, of planning permission very very shortly um, no. I do think my, sorry to interrupt I, I do think um, I thought Dan was a little bit unprofessional coming out saying what he did personally because he knew he was going to get a reaction from that he's obviously found out both him and his firm have lost out on the contract to do what the work they were going to follow through with Look, understandably, I, I, I run my own business, and uh, you know he's obviously understandably it's a big contract for them, and he's understandably upset. But you know these sort of projects, the size of them, and, and the nature of the contracts, he would have signed that he would have likely signed an NDA there, not to not to actually disclose any information about it. As a result, him coming out and putting out sort of cryptic tweets, it's forced the club's hand to come out and say something and clarify the situation. Otherwise, like you said, we've been none the wiser. You know what I mean? We, all we would be knowing is that, you know, would we be questioning the architect? Like you said, pre-social media, probably not. You know what I mean? So, you know, I do think he was a little bit unprofessional coming out saying what he did. He knew he was going to get a reaction. 
fundamentally, when we met him at that event, I thought he was a really nice guy. He came across really personally. Seemed to sort of like, you know, commit to the club, really. You know, he, he came across well with the fans. But, you know, business is business. And, and I know it sounds awful to say that, but, you know, they've probably gone with a firm that possibly maybe delivered a better, a better, a better proposition, maybe even cost cheaper now because, you know, what we're going through with, 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 with the pandemic and everything, you just don't know, do you? You don't, and, and based on what he put out on, on a tweet, that was a line he used, wasn't it, when he said if, if, if 2020 has shown him anything or he's learned anything from this year so far, it's that he shouldn't really have gone into business with people who say to him, it's only business, which obviously I'm assuming actually that's linked to the club, and Everton have said, well, it's just business, because we're, we're looking at a time when finances are obviously affected uh, heavily by what has gone on. Um, we're looking at obviously making sure that we can save a bit of money but, you know, is it helpful we've got a, a British architect on board? Of course, they've delivered, they've delivered various stadiums around the world. They're working on the World Cup stadiums in Qatar as well. So it's as if they, they aren't experienced. But, you know, let, let's, let's just hope that the, the planning permission goes through. We can crack on. And, you know, in sort of three or four months time when, when hopefully there's, there's a, a spade in the ground, you know, we, this is all a, a thing of the past. Um, but before before we look at obviously move forward and we look at the the Leicester game, we alluded there about obviously a little bit about sort of incomings and outgoings etc. Uh, well, not so much any incomings, but outgoings and, and extensions to to short term contracts. So we we've seen in in the last last week it's been confirmed that Chico uh, Martina is on his way, Umar Nias is on his way, um, as well as obviously Stecklenburg, we've already confirmed he signed a, a short term deal before he goes and joins Ajax. Snyderland's gone, gone to Nice um, as well, which is, is a massive bulk of the wages uh, off the books as well. So you can see now Everton and Marcel Brands are, are making great strides to get rid of players who, I mean, whether they cut the muscles in the past is, is up for debate. But certainly don't sort of make make the grade now under under Carlo Ancelotti, Pete. Yeah, definitely. And you'd hope it would pave the way for two or three quality signings. I mean, I, I don't know whether I'm a bit old fashioned or a bit romantic, but I I think having a solid squad of you know 18 players and then relying on your youth, it, it just seems to me to be the the best model to go to get the best out of the players you've got, so you don't end up with expensive people sat on benches or then when they do come into the side they're, they're not fully invested or committed to the team or the vision whereas I think from young players they're a lot more hungry they're a lot more eager to learn they you know they've got a lot more heart for the game so I would hope that now with the money that that's freed up we can bring in quality signings that will look to be you know part of Everton's future look to learn from Ancelotti and will improve the squad what what do you think, Callum, in regards to those those outgoings? I didn't mention there as well. I'd like to say, um, yeah, I've got, I've, got, I've got them here. Um, so obviously players released in the ass: Schneiderlin, Luke Garbert, Martinez, Stecklenberg, um, and then there's obviously a few 23s that I've left as well. But it's crazy, you know, the players that we've got because Stecklenberg's leaving, isn't he? Um, so that frees up 30k a week. Martinez was on 35, Garbert was on 28, Schneiderlin was on 100 grand a week. Um, and then players the club will they be there next season Walcott 100 grand a week Tosin 60 grand a week um, Bernard 120 um, so in the likes of then Sandro John Joe Kenny Pennington 
Baines, will you sign a new, a new deal? Um, Lossell um, on, on, at the moment, and you've got Balassi as well. So some players there that could be cleared out next season. It literally leaves us with like you know a first eleven and under twenty threes on the bench because there's so many players who are on high wage like Walcott. Hundred grand a week is a ridiculous amount of money. Um, Bernard, who I think is massively overrated, hundred twenty k a week. Um, so yeah, I think it's he's going to need to get rid of all these players as soon as he can. Sadibi is another one. Are we going to re-sign him? Is he going to come back? Or are we going to rely on Coleman and get someone else to obviously be an understudy to him? Um, yeah, we're going the right way about it, and you know it should have been done a long time ago, but we've been left again with this mess because. We've had so many managers, and now we're left with you know three or four managers signings. Now we're still at the club on on silly wages. Delph as well for next season is he going to play? He's on eighty grand a week. Um, so again, decisions to be made on who he's going to keep and who he's going to let go. But again, if we're going to let players go, we're going to need bodies in there to obviously to train, obviously have a first eleven for next season. I think that's it. I mean, if you, if you look at the sort of basis of, of the squad, you know, we've we've probably got a decent a decent start at eleven. You've got a few off the bench who can hopefully you know start to make make a difference as, as time goes on. Uh, like you say, and Peter alluded to it there. You know, the, the modern way, or the, maybe the best way, is to have sort of a, a solid eighteen, and then look at then using the, the the younger players. You know, we we've seen recently. Anthony Gordon starting to obviously get a bit of a go. Ellis Sims has been training with the first team. Uh, quite often as well. So you're starting to see some of these younger players hopefully hopefully going to be, be getting used by by Carlo. Um, you, you mentioned there um, about Leighton Baines and Leighton Baines has signed this, this short-term yeah. contract extension which is great. Okay, we've got him to the end of, end of the season whenever that, you know, it actually ends. But is anyone concerned by the fact that you know, he hasn't yet committed to oh. one-year deal? No, I, I think his, his, his obviously his plan all along was to to probably finish in the MLS, um, but obviously now with all what's going on there now, he's probably not going to probably get a deal out there. But I think for him and his family, I think he would have liked to probably go over there and obviously get a, a decent contract and obviously live in a, a better climate as well. That that's my thoughts on it. Um, so probably a bit why he's holding back at the moment and just seeing what offers come in and does he finish somewhere else rather than. No sitting on the bench for most most of the season. What are your thoughts, Lee, on Leighton Baines? Because I know obviously we're all massive Leighton Baines fans. Um, but what are your thoughts in terms of the the, the contract situation? Well, uh, you don't need to ask me what I think about Leighton Baines. I think I think we he's been a majestic footballer for us. Um, one of the best left backs in the Premier League. Um, like we were saying off air before, I, I would not begrudge him whatsoever. Uh, if he left our football club and wanted to play a year in the States or a year anywhere else, actually, I still think he could offer a team at least another couple of seasons the shape he keeps himself in. Technically, he's brilliant. He might have lost a yard of pace or whatever, but you're not going to get many technically better footballers at left back than him. Um, look, we want him to stay. So let's have it right. We do want him to stay. Otherwise, it's another issue, isn't it? We've got to essentially find someone to back up Luca Dean uh, on the left-hand side. Um, so I hope he does stay. Um, Carlo there, you know, he finished the game like you alluded to before, Mike, with um, Leighton left back and Dina pushed up ahead of him. You know, who's to, who's to say we might not go with that and have, you know, a bit more balance on the left hand side, two left footed players? He might finish the season that way. Um, I don't think any of us have any issues with that, with, with Leighton playing left back and Luca, Luca playing ahead of him. 
Um, so yeah, so look, I, I hope he stays. But if he goes, he goes with you know goes with our blessings because he's been a legend at our club. Yeah, it, it definitely it definitely will be with a with a heavy heart if we don't get another year out of Leighton Beans. But I I understand it from a point that he knows how fit he is. He apparently came back. Uh, I'm, I'm setting all kinds of records for himself, you know, sort of post post lockdown and post break. He kept himself in really, really good shape. So obviously he can he can do the business, and you know, he's, he's still for me technically probably our best player. You know, he's so he's so gifted, um, and I'd love to see him get you know a, a, quite a few more chances over the course of the remaining games of the season. Um, and it's a it's a good point to sort of move forward now and look at. Can I just game. mention quickly, sorry. I know Callum reeled off a few names there. I disagree with him about Bernard. I think Bernard's a really good player. We just need to get the best out of him. And he's on he's on 120 grand a week because we got him on a free as well. Yeah, I understand, so, I, I understand that. I do understand that. Um, I know you don't like him, mate. I'm just giving you no, a little No, no, no. I just thought he's the kid's got ability, but for me, he doesn't finish games. When's the last time he played 90 minutes? He looks like he's bloody breathing yeah. on his after 60. I just think going forward, if we're going to play more attack on football and he goes to a front three, um, or having a player who gets goals from the left-hand side, Bernard's not the answer. Yeah, What's your be, thoughts there? What's your thoughts? It'd be interesting to see. I've always liked him. I've always thought he was a player that could, you know, could, could give you something else or nothing at times. I think, I think I understand what Callum's saying. You know, you know whether he, you know, fitness-wise, whether he's built for the Premier League, um, I don't know. He, he's definitely worth taking that chance. You know, on a three, like you say, Lee, he was given quite heavy wages because he was on a three. He, he came, he came through. He'd done some really good stuff at, at Shakhtar. Um, so I always want one for now to succeed and think. I thought at one point last season that left hand side of him and Luca Dean worked, worked really well. Whether now with a change of manager, a change of obviously tactics, formation, etc., whether he fits into a Carlo Ancelotti system, is it, it you know, it remains to be seen. Um, but you know, we, we'll see whether it's a player. I'm not, by the way, saying that we should do. Um, whether it's a player we should be looking at selling sort of in the summer because we, we didn't buy it for anything I don't know um, but one player just before we do move on to Leicester it's just John Henry that you know Jordan Pickford has been linked um, yet again I've seen it now a few times in recent weeks to Chelsea um, I argue the fact that if they came in with a £40 million bid in the current climate because they've got money um, he's a player that we could look at Potentially selling for say 40, 45 million quid and, you know, replacing for say 20 million pounds in the current client for someone who is maybe more reliable, uh, and a better pick, uh, better pick, a better goalkeeper than, than Jordan Pickford. What, what are your thoughts, Pete? I'm better picks for Pickford. Well, well yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I completely agree with you. I, I think you could probably come up with a short list of at least five keepers. Um, you know, off the top of your head, that would probably be just as competent as Jordan Pickford, have the same um, sort of d- development trajectory, you know, as a young goalkeeper, uh, and it would be a lot cheaper. Because um, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's he's our number one, he's England's number one. I think he's got a great future ahead of him, but I think he's made um, quite a few. High-profile mistakes. I think he struggles for consistency. I think sometimes some of the goalkeeping errors he makes are arguably quite sort of rudimental. Um, and it, it's you know it, it, is that acceptable now for 
well, he's, he's a bit like Barkley. You can only call him a young player for so long. I think he's now, you know, he's reaching the, the middle of his career and he needs to stamp mistakes like that out. And I think there's been a couple of questions about his his mentality, his attitude. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not going in for him, but I just think, yeah, if, if you're offered, what, 40 to 50 million for that kind of player, I, I'd say take it. As one of us, as one of us. Oh, come Oh, go on. Go on. Sorry, sorry. As one of as one of our saleable assets, he's the one you would probably sell ahead of probably the likes of Luca Dean, Richarlison, and people like that, isn't he? And yeah. if you get forty, fifty mil for him, and we could bring someone in like Pete said, you know, I, I I'd personally go all out for someone like Donnarumma if we could get him. Whether we could get him for a reasonable price, I don't know. But yeah. in in these times with COVID and things like that, you just don't know. Um, but if we could get if we could sell him and swap him. For a similar price to someone like a Donnarumma, and then for me, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the problem, isn't it? It's generating generating money, really. Um, but we don't want to be selling the likes of Rich Allison or Dean. You know, you want to be selling the likes of either a Sigurdsson um, or obviously a Pickford in terms of in terms of money to, to get in. But then again, it's huge, huge go and get. Um, Donnarumma, obviously, one stand, that stands out. He's a quality goalkeeper. Um, you know, good in the air in terms of claiming cross, which obviously Pip has really struggled with to command his area. Um, but then you've got other players. You've got Sergio Rico as well, um, on loan from Sevilla. Um, he's at obviously Paris Saint-Germain, so got no chance of getting him. Um, and then there's one at Bilbao as well. Um, Unai Simon, Simon, um, Unai Simon, um, he's performed really well this season as well. So, but I think in terms of us getting another keeper in, it's one that, they need to be decent, but I think they need to be good technically as well. I think that we play, we play out from the back. You've got to have a keeper who's comfortable in terms of receiving the ball on the back foot and switch and play. And there's very few keepers who can do that. Um, you look at Man City, you know, when Pep first came in, Joe Hart was absolutely shocking for them. Um, and hence why they went out and got Edison. So it's all about getting the right keeper, but so obviously you can play out from the back as well. And that narrows your search down a lot, I think. Yeah, and it's something again. It's probably going to rumble on, isn't it, into the uh, into the transfer window, and let's let's see how it plays out. But you know, out, out of all the players, and you, you've touched on it all, it all there. Uh, out of all the players you've got in terms of saleable assets, he's definitely one that we could look at um, potentially cashing in on, making some money on, and replacing for cheaper to put us in a better position financially with, over the next window. Yeah. Um, well, let's let, let's move swiftly on then and have, have a have a, a look at. Our next game, which comes up on on Wednesday, Goodison Park, six o'clock kickoff, a home to to, to Leicester City. Um, Leicester City obviously going well in the league. Um, they, they haven't come out of the break, you know, all guns blazing. You know, they they've had a draw at Watford. Um, they've had a draw at home to Brighton. They lost in the FA Cup today at home to Chelsea. So, it's, in, in my opinion, you know, if, if we were playing Leicester. You know, when there was no break and we had a, had a fog to go to some yeah. park and this, this situation wasn't upon us, it probably would have been, I think, a tougher game a few months ago than it will be, in my opinion, than it will be when we played them on Wednesday, Callum. They're really struggling at the moment then. I watched them the other day, um, really struggling. Got all the players back fit as well. Um, obviously, they've had that goal conceded the last minute um, when Watford have scored from that corner. But Leicester didn't do much at all. Um, Bardi, obviously no doubt now they'll go and score two past us, but he's been out of form. But in the last three games that they've played, they've only had six shots on target. 
um, three of them are against Chelsea as well. Um, obviously, we've got better preparation, you'd like to think. Obviously, we played on Wednesday, the game's on Wednesday, and they just played um, today or whatever. So, you're hoping that our players will come back a little bit fresher at home as well. Obviously, obviously no crowd and whatever, but that will obviously be ready for them, really. Um, I just think the break's coming a good time for us. I think with Charles and, and Calvert-Lewin, probably the weakest game that they've played for a long time, to be honest. I think they were bringing on the backsides against Norwich. I know Calvert-Lewin had a couple of half chances on whatever, and one that, but one he should have scored, really. But I thought Richarlison was anonymous for most of the game. Um, and we need to keep a close eye on how many minutes he plays, really. Well, what are your thoughts, Lee, going into the game? You, you think it's, you know, it, it's a good, a good time almost to be playing Leicester? Yeah, judging by the, the way they've come out of lockdown, yeah. Um, I saw a bit of that FA Cup match today, actually, and I, um, I thought first half they looked pretty good. They gave Chelsea issues. Second half, Chelsea made a couple of changes, brought on a couple of senior pros, um, and deservedly won, won the game. Um, they dominated them really in the second half. Um, Leicester are dangerous because they've got some, you know, decent players. You know, you mentioned Vardy there. He's, I think he's the top scorer in the Premier League at the minute, isn't he? Um, you know, he's, he's been pretty consistent for the last few years. Um, yeah. his pace causes any team's problems. Um, although if we play similar the way I've been recently and we don't leave any space in behind, I think, you know, that nullifies his game big time. Yeah, he struggles with me. Yeah. Struggles with his back to goal, yeah. Um, Tielemans I really like. He's a very good player. They've got, obviously, um, so look, they have got good players. Uh, but, you know, I look, I, I was at the game, uh, the FA Cup game when, not, sorry, the, the League Cup game when we should have, should have gone through against them, really. I know Bain scored yeah. um, a world in the last... Before that, we had two or three chances to you know, to knock him out quite comfortably. We, we were the much better team in that game. and We were very unlucky to go out on penalties. Um, so I think, yeah, if, if, if we turn up... I mean, the rest is key. I think we looked a bit rusty because... Let's have it right. Richarlison, is, 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 he looked shattered in that game because he's been asked to pretty much play two lots of 90 minutes in the space of a few days when yeah. he's had three months off. Most teams have got the luxury to be able to rest those sort of players. We haven't. Yeah. Um, and I thought, um, I thought he was anonymous to an extent, yes, but I think a lot of it comes down to the fact he's having to do a shift. And I think, um, I think we can beat him. I think we can beat him regardless of his home or away stuff. It's pretty neutral now. I yeah. think we've got enough to beat them. Are you, are you as confident, Pete, that there's talk that uh, James Madison is out for the game as well? Yeah. Well, look, don't get me started on him. He's a. Keep it clean, Pete. Keep it clean. The language. I was going to say he's a cocky, but then I struggled to finish the um, <laughs> the rest of the sentence. One of my favourite things about that Gilfie Sigurdsson goal away at last uh, away at Leicester in the oh, two oh. is James Madison for a hot dog. Before yeah. <laughs> Have that. Um, well, look, like, like Callum says, they scored, what, one goal in three games since the lockdown's come back. They've not quite been sharp. They've not been at the races. I think we definitely can beat them, but I think what we can't do is start slow in the game. I think if we start against Leicester like we did against Norwich, I think we could find ourselves going in half-time, one or two down, and I think it'd be really difficult, especially with the way that Leicester play. They like to play on the counter, play with lots of pace. I think it'll be really, really hard to turn around a deficit um, against that Leicester side, who will probably be quite content just to sit back, let, let us have the ball and hit us on the break. So I think we need to try and control the game in the first half, set the pace, 
try and go ahead first. Um, I think if we can do that, then yeah, we can definitely beat them. I think you're right, Pete. In terms of if we went behind, especially with no crowd, that's where the crowd would help a good some wouldn't it? You know, if you're going behind, at least you're getting a little bit of a kick on the backside from from those watching. But if we go behind, I think you know, with no one there, almost you know, as if it's a, a neutral venue, then we're going to struggle, aren't we, to get to get up that motivation almost to to, to get back in the game. But you know, if, if Madison's not fit. Um, you know, as we've said, let's have them come out, come away um, from the uh, the base of all, all guns blazing. Definitely a game that we can we can go into with, with with bags of confidence. We haven't played particularly well. You, you would argue against Norwich, we were decent in terms of you know how how solid we've been against Liverpool and Norwich. Uh, but we've got four points in two games, so there's, there's, there's definitely confidence in the, in the side there. Without having, without having played particularly well, well, let's 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 finish off with with, the, with our famous predictions. Anyway, we all, we all called on Norwich win last week. Um, Callum, I'll come to you first as the guest. What what are you saying? What's what's your prediction? What are your goal scorers? Um, I'm going to go two one, two one Everton. Um, I think Vard will score. Um, and then I'm going to go for a Rich Allison and a Holgate header. Specific, I like it. That's that's normally a piece department. Daddy, he talks us through the uh, the ins and outs of every goal. Go, go on, please try and match that. Go on, I'm, I'm going to go one nil, one nil Everton, Calvert Lewin. How's he going to score, Pete? Go on, give us give us the, the low down. Uh, cross from the left from Dean along the floor, side foot, stand, standing keeper, arms out, one of them. Starfish. Michael. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the first goal is vital. Um, I think, yeah, I think 1-0 as well. I think if you look at the way Wolves have done, and massive credit to him, I think they've had three games and three clean sheets, haven't they? Um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, they're three points off third now. So I think Carlo, with the players that he's got at his disposal, no doubt we may get a few niggles as well. Um, I think he's set, he, he, you've got to give him credit for the way he set the team up post lockdown. I think he's going to try and make us hard to beat and try and obviously nick some of these games. Uh, and let, let's be fair, we probably should have nicked it against Liverpool as well. He, he, oh, he did a Napoli, he did a Napoli on him, didn't he? Yeah. You know what I mean, um, who do you think, like, think will play though? Do you think Sigurdsson will come in for Davis? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. Um, he's earned it, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, and also you know he. he, he like Pete called that goal he scored, you know, he's got that in his locker. I know he's not shown it this year, hmm. but, you know, uh, loved it when he when he sent Madison for a hot dog. And he, he also did the same for another cocky, uh, you know what, uh, Declan oh, Rice yeah. against West Ham. No, it was Jack Wilshire. No, he said De- sent Declan Rice for one when he put it in with his left peg, didn't he? No, that was Wilshire. Wilshire, Wilshire was the one who, who ended up. No, 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 Declan Rice, boys. Declan Rice, boys. Right, OK, OK. It was Jack hey, Wilshire. OK. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Say something. Anyway, say something. Okay, I, I was there, and I sit just to the, just to the right of the halfway line. I I had one of the best views in the stadium. Jack Wilshere all day. I'd say yeah. ten pound. It was Jack Wilshere to be fair. Like oh, three to one. Here we go. Anyway, <laughs> back to other matters. Callum, what do you think? Do you think? Do you think you'll? We talked about Iwobi before. I want us to get your opinion on whether I know Carlo made that slight change. Do you think he'll? He maybe realizes that now. Look, Iwobi's a way better. Threat for us centrally. Do you think he'll tell him now to start getting on the ball a bit more, a bit more in the centre of the midfield or what? Yeah, I think I think he's got to. I think when you look on the likes of the likes of Gomez getting on it, and even Sigurdsson in the in a deeper area, you need 
that someone ahead of the ball who's got that movement who's quick who can find them gaps because once he, he finds that gap of Obi and turns he, he's away and I know sometimes the decision making lets him down but he does find them pockets because he's quick whereas Tom Davis can't do that um, so but again it, I think in terms of the Iwobi thing that's only ever been down to the opposition and in terms of not leaving Coleman isolated in the 1v1 but who are they going to play wide left maybe Damari Gray potentially um, so yeah you'd like to think Iwobi would come inside a little bit more and then that allow Coleman to defend 1v1 because I know Damari Gray's got a bit of skill but I'd like to think Coleman could obviously have him in the game to be honest oh, well he did a job on Mane didn't he and he did a very good job on Mane yeah. Um, uh, I do think Awobi is always progressive and he's always looking to move the ball forward. Yeah. If you look at his stats, they back that up. You know, he does he does create chances, doesn't he? You know his, best I mean? game, his best game I thought was against West Ham at all. He was just getting it in them pockets and he was just he was pressing high up the pitch and you know they, the other teams can't really get out and that's what we're missing. I think with a next season you play a front three with Calvert Lewin, Richarlison, and someone else who's quick. I think we'll have a real strong forward three. I really do. But obviously he might still go with a four four two next season. But we do need pace up that top end of the field rather than obviously having have, have a you know, so far back, which obviously you realised in that first half and change, and that's why we won the game. Yeah, yeah. So what, 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 what did, you, did, you, did you say your score, Lee? Or we, we yeah, should be getting West, West Ham players I, wrong? <laughs> I, I, I said 1-0, I 1-0 said nil, nil as well. Right. I do think I do think it'll be hard to break down, um, but we'll have enough, we'll have enough to score. Uh, I think Richarlison will score. I think that 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 week break will give him all he needs. He'll, he'll come back and get a few goals before the lockdown finishes. I think. Yeah, I I, I was going to jump in with a one 0 as well. I think it's going to be a really tight game. You know, we've seen in quite a few games. You know, sides have been evenly matched, um, and we've seen a few tight games. I do think it'll be a one 0 seven, and I think the goal scorer will be Guilty Sigerson. Like, I really think that. You know, he, he's going there now. I think he's going to get, going to get a bit of, bit of a run on the side, to be fair now. Um, he came on to decent effect against Liverpool and against Norwich. Um, did, did a decent job there. I think he'll slot against, against Leicester. Um, and, and we'll come away with, with the three points. Um, Callum, thanks for coming on the show, mate. Really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for having us on. Great to be back on, on the show, like, so thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hopefully, hopefully next time, mate, it's, it's in person. Um, yeah. And we can all get together and, and have a nice, a nice coffee, coffee yeah. and leaves and a, and a, a charcuterie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, mate. We'll, um, we'll be back next week. We don't play till, till, uh, we've got obviously Wednesday, Leicester, Monday, Tottenham Hotspur away. Um, so we'll go back next weekend to look back at the, at the Leicester game and look forward to hopefully a successful trip down to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So we'll, we'll catch you then. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.